Welcome back to Here by the Owl podcast. Uh, this is episode seven, and we're so excited uh, to have the opportunity to talk to our friend Jesse Lumpkins. Jesse, do you want to introduce yourself, uh, explain a little bit about your job and your responsibilities? Yeah, well, thanks for letting me be here, y'all. This is my first podcast, so thank you for making me feel special. <laughs> uh, my name is Jesse Lumpkins. I'm from Nashville, Tennessee, and I taught ag for about 10 years. And recently, uh, back in March, just looking for a different opportunity for several reasons and wanting to come out of the classroom, but still definitely be in ag ed. And so I had the opportunity to interview for technically the title is NAAE program manager case operations, but we just say the case program manager. Um, it's a mouthful. It definitely does that is. even fit on a business card. <laughs> no, <laughs> definitely doesn't fit on a name tag either. So that's why we have to shorten it for sure. Uh, but that just basically means I'm a little bit of a catch-all uh, for CASE. Still definitely learning my job responsibilities because, again, I've been in this role for maybe, what, four months, three months. Um, came on board right when we had Elite Elevation, which used to be called Lead Teacher Orientation. So that's one of our big events for the year. And it was fun to jump right in in that role and be able to help the staff. So the staff is relatively small if you just consider the case team. So as far as responsibilities go, what's great about my role is that on one day I might be working with the website. You know, we were just chatting earlier before we started and that's something that just launched last week and uh, we did our training this morning for it and you know, we just launched our new site. So there'll be days that I'll be able to work on putting all kinds of great content on that. And then the next day I might be working on invoicing or uh, working on celebrating our teachers by, you know, getting our awards um, finalized and celebrating those teachers and recognizing the work they do. And another fun aspect is just kind of being the, the front line of case, the, the communications uh, handler, because if there's something that needs to go on social media or in an email blast, then I'm the person that kind of condenses that and figures out what's the best way to get that message across. So people actually want to click on it or open that email and stay informed with what we do with case. Um, when I'm not working, I I'm probably a little boring, a little bit of an introvert. Uh, but if I am doing something else, I just started rowing classes, which has been interesting. Um, I have cats at home, but no children yet. So that's kind of my <laughs> crazy cat lady background. Uh, when I was in the classroom, you know, Brianna I has five cats. So, oh, well you win then. <laughs> everybody listening. The cat lady queen is Brianna. How yeah, many cats do you have, Jesse? I only <laughs> have world three, needs which I thought Brianna. was a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I would say three is teetering on I like how you say I only have three though, which I mean, <laughs> you having five cats, I guess only three is, is appropriate. Well, yeah. I mean, compared to you, now that you knowing you have five, <laughs> See, I now, think that might constitute as like a cat colony. Oh, I've never heard of it called that. I like that. I don't know. What Brianna. are those, you know, the group names for things like a yeah. group of owls, the parliament. A group colony. of cats apparently is a colony, so today it is my it is today that's right that. <laughs> well now if anybody makes fun of you jesse you can just say nope because i don't have five I'm directing so. them to y'all that's right yep <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah and so you know i think 
the fun thing about still working in this role is letting all the experiences that I had in the classroom inform it. So, you know, as a student, I was kind of in a suburban FFA chapter. It was really just a, a great overall experience. My first four years teaching was very rural. It was kids who, I mean, all I had to do was put a proficiency application in front of them and, and they, they'd be great. I mean, we had some state um, star and placement regional winners and things, and it were, literally was just fill this out. I mean, he was, they had great ag backgrounds and they were in a rural area, but the majority of my career was spent uh, teaching at least in an urban area and teaching it to populations of students who had no idea what agriculture was or that they could have a place in FFA. So I became passionate about advocating for diverse groups, not just in ag in general, but in ag ed. And so obviously that informs uh, a lot of the things that I get to do with CASE. And I'm looking forward to just bringing more of that to the table as, you know, my time continues. Yeah, that's awesome. Just to hear kind of your background and, and hear kind of where you got to your, your current role. Um, and Nikki and I are both familiar with CASE. Nikki herself is a lead teacher and um, I've gone to a couple case institutes and love everything about it, but I think there's a lot of people that still don't really know what case is. So could you just explain what what case really is and what it, maybe what it stands for too? Yeah, sure. So technically, it stands for Curriculum for Agricultural Science as a Education. And what a lot of people think, and it's not necessarily incorrect, but what they'll say is it's a curriculum group or they sell curriculum or we provide curriculum. And that's true. But how we like to rephrase this is that we provide professional development. And with that professional development comes the curriculum. Um, it was a project, you know, pretty ambitious project about 13 years ago, starting around 2007. Um, and some people may not realize this. And the more that I work with Case, the more I understand. But we're actually, you know, an initiative of NAAE. So people may often forget, or, you know, if they're ever building something, they see NAAE at the top of that. And that's because, you know, obviously the support that you get by being a part of many different cohorts, possibly being an NAAE member, maybe a state association member, and then um, being involved in case it just having everyone informed on all sides, right, just helps you. And so I know we're going to get into this, but essentially, Becoming case certified means that at some point you attended either an in-person or a virtual, which is another thing that's uh, a, a very timely and on the horizon, right? Uh, training, some type of training. So we have trainings that go as long as 10 days. We have what's called a fast track, which cuts that a little bit in half. Some people do homework beforehand. And then we have these virtual and they are, for a lack of a better word, intense. We could call them in-depth. Um, you're definitely not going to be a passive participant. Uh, if you want to be certified and y'all both know how it is, you have to be very active. You're, we often say there are times that you have a student hat on and a teacher hat. So going into that training, you get to act as the student, which helps you completely understand what we call APPs, activities, projects, or problems, and, and essentially the entire curriculum. Uh, we're really proud of the way that it's spiraled and scaffolded which means that you don't, while there's definitely um, flexibility in the way that you present them, they're in an or order for a reason. And that's because you're building on that base knowledge. Um, and there's definitely, I mean, different pathways, all the different classes. Um, I, I'd love to talk about those. What is, uh, I guess, let's, 
do a little history lesson. So what was the first pathways or pathway that they started with? And maybe what is maybe Case's newest brainchild when it comes to uh, the, the pathway that a, a person could take? Sure. So there are four pathways. We've got animal science, plant science, natural resources, and mechanics. And they all, we have a total of 11 courses that are full courses, and then what we call a briefcase, which is um, right now the only one we have is agribusiness. That's the newest one. And it's short briefcase, which means we can provide that training in person in one day and virtually in two days. So although there may not be as much content as some of those other ones, uh, we found that that's pretty popular because maybe a semester long class or just a, a shorter supplement providing that business. You know, there are a lot of differences, even just between the three of us, what, you know, our students would learn based on the state they're in. But we know that business is one of those catch-alls that regardless of what you're doing, they're going to need those skills. So that's definitely one of those things that's pushed in the past few years. Sponsored by Farm Credit definitely helped us get that off the ground. But going back to the beginning, uh, the very first course was animal, or excuse me, plant science. So sometimes one of the things that we <laughs> like to talk about in case a lot is that we have our acronyms. And so plant science course is actually called ASP. And that's because they started out by saying they wanted to name the courses agricultural science dash whatever it dealt with. So ASP is actually agricultural science plant. And once that one was developed, I believe the next one was ASA, which is animal. So animal science or agricultural science animal. Uh, and then the base course for all of those pathways, I believe the next one that was developed was AFNR, which is my favorite one. We could have probably an entire podcast just about AFNR uh, because it is the introductory course for any of the pathways. So whether you want to, if you want to become certified in all of the classes that are in the animal pathway or mechanics, whatever, the foundation course is agricultural uh, or AFNR. And one thing that I think some people talked about or, you know, are concerned about, and we may get to some of those myths later on, but you don't definitely don't have to take them in order. So if you have a definite need for the plant science course before you want to take that initial one. Maybe you feel like you have a decent handle on like an agri-science class. You could jump straight into um, taking that plant science institute and becoming certified in that and then going back and saying I want to maybe get certified in the foundations course and then you build it as you go. And so uh, a lot of people think that they're limited because if they don't want to take AFNR, they don't have that, that they can't fill out that pathway at their own school and you know, you don't even have to follow that pathway technically. Um, you know, where I'm from in Tennessee, we have to have some logic to the way that a class or schedule is laid out. You know, you can't bounce around from horse science to floral design to, you know, agri-science. But if you have that freedom and you want to provide any variety of the case courses, it's really up to you for just when you can get certified and which ones you want to take. Um, so you mentioned a little bit about when somebody attends a case institute, uh, you mentioned intense, in-depth. Can you paint us a picture for, for our listeners? We know what it looks like, but when you were to, if you were to go to your first case institute, what are they going to start to experience from the start to the finish, the people there, the places that they're going to travel, um, and then you mentioned they get the professional development, they get the, the curriculum. 
So what, what things are they going to see, do, and what can they expect? I love this question because this is, as much as I loved being in the classroom, it was always the highlight of every summer. So not only taking them, but then being able to be a lead and master teacher to provide that to others. So when I think about the entire experience, really first I think about registration. So you have the choice of any of the institutes that are available. It doesn't have to be the one that's closest to you. You know, really the only limiting factor is funding, which I know we can get to. Uh, but generally even that, you know, they're all in that same price range. So if you're prepared for that, then you get to choose where you want to go. And I know a lot of teachers might pick something that's close uh, because maybe they want to run home on the weekend or maybe they want to go far away because they want their off time to be kind of a vacation sightseeing experience. So first you're going to just decide what you want that experience to look like. So let's assume that somebody is wanting to take pretty much a full length institute. It's about nine to 10 days. So you're going to choose whichever one you want to go to. You're going to get some communication, not only from case, but from the host. So we have some great host sites. Generally, they're probably, you know, a college or university, but they can actually be a high school as well. And you're going to hear from that host about what they expect that week to look like. So you may hear about certain clothing that you need to bring or materials for whatever that course is and whatever that local area. For instance, just as a fun note, I know I always told any uh, group that we had that they might wanna bring a sweater because we like to always keep our room extremely chilly, like the room that we're in that we're gonna you know, be working in. So you just, you, for all my planners out there, anything that you need to know ahead of time, if you're thinking I'm about to go to this 10 day professional institute, what do I need? We try to get you as prepared as possible down to the fact that you're gonna need closed-toed shoes at some point, you know, for different labs that we may do or whatnot. So let's say we're ready to go to the Institute in general. You probably come in on a Sunday or whatever the, the prep day is. And at about four or five in that afternoon, you're going to have the orientation meeting. And so what that looks like is just meeting with the group. Probably it was going to be some great meal. And what we love about our host is that they do a very great job of tailoring the experience to the local area. So for instance, uh, anybody out there who's ever been to the Minnesota Institute that is held in the dairy barn knows that you're going to get a true dairy experience. You're going to get a true Minnesota experience. You know, lots of great like Midwestern casserole dishes um, made by locals or even made, you know, the group collaborates at some point. But even in that very first meeting, you get an idea of the setting of who you may possibly be rooming with. It could possibly be a hotel. It may be a dorm at a school. Um, there's variety there, but again, it would be something that people would know ahead of time. We definitely get the curriculum set up that night. That's something that we were chatting about before too. Uh, we're excited that our new website has some great functionality to where it should be increasingly easier for you to access that curriculum. So you get access that night. And then the next day, you know, going into it and every day of that week, that is an institute day. We're going to be there from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. And that sounds intense and it is, but we have to keep in mind that during that time, you're going through either full length or an overview of every APP, which again is activity, project, or problem. It's just kind of what we call a lesson or an activity. Um, you're going through every one that your students are going to go through in 180 days in the course of 
10. Now I've said a few times that the, the Institute is 10 days, but let's say you came in on a Sunday, you got that orientation, you start Monday morning and every day you go 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. On Friday, when you break at 5 p.m., you've got that weekend back. So if you picked that institute that was close, there are tons of people who say, you know, at 5 p.m. on Friday, I'm out. I'll see y'all on Monday. They go visit their families. You know, there are a lot of people who may feel like an institute is limiting because they have farms to be at or children that they need to take care of, or they're just not comfortable being away from home that long, or, you know, there's just responsibilities that they have to attend to. So if there's ever anything you know, that you can break for and leave for the weekend, you're welcome to do that. But some of the best experiences I've ever had in a summer, and y'all could probably attest to this, are when you stay around and you participate in what the host has planned for you, or you just get to know, you know, everybody at your institute. Uh, we also sometimes, at least in my institutes, have had like social coordinators. So the participants that are super excited about wherever we are may also organize some events. So you know, I think about my very first lead teaching experience. I was in Louisiana. So on that weekend, we didn't think about curriculum at all. We didn't open our laptops, but on that Saturday morning, we all got together and went down to the Gulf of Mexico. First time I'd ever seen that. Um, you know, we got to go pet baby alligators and tour our rum distillery and all kinds of fun stuff. Were you with Kevin? Uh, <laughs> Kevin always just appears right so like Kevin <laughs> wasn't in that institute but we were you know in his area when we were like Charles so of course like we got to go um and you know if you're social enough it doesn't have to wait till the weekend now I'm kind of an introvert by the time 5 p.m comes I have to recharge right but if you have enough energy I mean there was one night uh that we were in Louisiana we went to a casino that had a concert going on that night and we watched um Andy Grammer who was kind of popular that year, <laughs> yeah, that once, all right, but, um, you know, we got to, to dance that night, and experience that, and then we woke up the next morning, and we kept learning about AFNR, so as long as, you know, let's just be real, if you can be social, and still do what you need to do, that opportunity is there as much as you want to take advantage of it, um, there, you know, some hosts even do things like rotate where you are. So when I was in Minnesota, we spent the first week in the dairy barn and then the weekend came and we moved to a hotel. So let's say on a typical one where we started on Sunday, you'd have those two weekend days and then you go back Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday would be your last day. So you would finish on Wednesday, but you'd still have travel home time. So unless you lived very far from wherever your institute was, you'd be home by the end of that Wednesday, I would think. But if you've never been to one and that sounds super intimidating or just like a huge investment, I think, and y'all can maybe, you know, chime in on this. The time passes faster than you may think. And there's just really nothing like the individual cohort of people that you're going to be with. And for people that will take case, you're probably active enough that you're going to see those folks again. And even if you have a lot of in-state folks, like for example, um, we've been able to host some Tennessee institutes. There were Tennessee teachers that we already knew ahead of time, but there were a lot of also, you know, folks that came in from other states that now that group is cemented, you know, not only in my mind, but we have a Facebook group or there might be group chats or things where, you know, yes, you're going to get valuable I hope and, and expect and know that there are amazingly teachers out there that 
that guide the process, but sometimes the most valuable part is the interaction we have with our peers. Um, you know, the professional development is not just led by the lead teachers. You're also going to hear all of the input that you get from others. So, you know, I'm not strong in plant science. And I know that when I took AFNR, when we would go through some of those activities or the labs that I just felt lost on, not only did I have Karen Vandewally and Josh Day to help me, but, you know, anybody else in the class that could pipe up. Or later on, you know, I felt like I could text them and say, hey, I'm still not understanding, you know, X, Y, Z, can you help me out? So the follow-up there, so this is a long way of answering the question of what does that institute look like? When you get finished, um, there's a checklist of things that you, you need to have done. And essentially, it's just that you went through as a student, uh, completed everything, you know, you're going to get this notebook and you fill it out as if you're a student. And that is for a lack of a better term not to be sacrilegious but your bible you know for you when you go back in your classroom so as much as you may feel like i know what's going on and this is great some of the things that you went over you're not going to see for months and months maybe even close to a year in front of your students so the investment that you make in that time as much as it may be difficult to be away from our families or our farms you have planned your entire year made notes for everything that might be individual for your classroom. And then you can finally spend the time on the things that you want to spend it on instead of the administrative or the, the content creation. And I'll finish that by saying one of the most powerful things that ever happened to me in an institute, the first time that somebody had taken one. So we had a group that was mixed and, you know, people who had, had maybe three um, certifications and then several who were just getting their first. And on Friday, the first Friday when we were leaving and about to say bye and, and in for the day, we played a game where we just were answering random questions. And one of the questions was, what are you going to do now that Case has saved you so much time? And this person knows that I share the story a lot and is comfortable with it. But um, there's a great guy named Paul who got that question and he said, you know, I got divorced in my first marriage because I spent too much time at school. And I am looking forward to that not happening, it, happening again now that I have case. I know that at four o'clock, I'm going to be able to leave my classroom and go home to my family. And yet when I get to school the next day, I'm still delivering powerful inquiry-based, science-based agriculture curriculum. So that, you know, he knew he's not compromising the great job that all ag teachers want to do. You know, we're very passionate, intense people, I think. And yet he was able to know that he was doing what he needed to for his family. And that's probably the most rewarding thing that we can offer as case. Yeah, I really liked your, your answer to that question and all the different things you listed. Because I think the, two of the things you listed are two of my favorite parts about a case institute. One, that kind of community that you build with your fellow um, attendees there's a lot of people that I still talk to I have on Facebook and it's just fun to kind of have those relationships with other ag teachers. And then also, um, yes, it might seem like it's super rigorous and it is, which is great. Um, but you come out comfortable with that curriculum. Um, I think there's nothing worse than attending a professional development thing and then coming home. And now I don't know how to implement it because I never got to actually do that curriculum myself. Um, and I don't need me to get too long in my response either but 
when I attended ASA, that was my first institute that I attended. And I remember back to high school and college, I hated science, like could not, you know, I, my mind didn't think that way. Um, and I was so nervous, you know, doing dissections and doing a lot of the advanced science things that are in ASA, but now I love teaching it. I love incorporating science into my classroom. And I think one of the reasons is because I got to actually experience it for 10 days and had super awesome lead teachers that kind of walked us through there and, and allowed us, like you said, to both have this, the student hat and the teacher hat. Um, but I think a lot of teachers too wonder like, what is, what does the case curriculum look like? And you talk about APPs, um, but what can, what can a teacher expect when they get that curriculum? Is it PowerPoints? Is it worksheets? Is it labs? You know, how is that kind of set up? Yeah, that's a great question. And we can touch on the surface of that, but it really would take going to an institute to fully understand what that looks like. Um, <coughs> Sorry. So it would take going to an institute to fully understand what that curriculum looks like. But so we've heard that we call them APPs. So whether you're in the institute and you're practicing it and learning it, or you're providing that for your students, everything that you do is either an activity, which is generally all the students are going to come to the same conclusion. So, you know, if it's that you're trying to teach that pH is a scale, it's affected by certain things. All the students are going to arrive at that conclusion at the end. Now that doesn't, the best part about inquiry based is that we don't tell them and then just say, let's prove it. We say, what do you think is going to happen? Or, or they just go into it not knowing. Um, one of the, my favorite APPs in AFNR is, and you may know what I'm going to say, but is the, um, it's the murder mystery. So who killed the petunia plant? And, you know, that's an opportunity for you, even though that curriculum's already set, you can be very theatrical in your delivery if you're that kind of person. You know, there's a lot of room for creativity in that. Um, there might be a project where the topic or the objective is the same for all students, but they're all kind of arriving at that in different ways. And then there's a limited amount of what we call problems, which are the big picture questions that we ask in agriculture, like literally how do we feed the world? And those things are kind of limited to being at the end of a lot of technical uh, instruction so that we're really getting to the root of why do we educate students about agriculture in the first place? If they're the next generation that's going to feed and clothe and house and fuel the world, they've got to understand how to do all those things first, but then it's important to also apply that through the lens of what, what, why are we really doing those things? So overall, there's a great mix of both technical skills, you know, thinking skills, um, in AFNR, there's a great introduction to FFA and in general CTSOs and that. Um, when you look at the curriculum, now when people get it, they're going to go to the website and you're going to log into the My Case portal of the website and anything that you're certified in will show up there. And it's organized by units. So that's our, you know, it's technical jargon. I think lots of people may use interchangeably in certain places. In case we're very particular that the unit is the the first chunk within units you have lessons and within those lessons you have the APPs and so if you've ever looked at it before or heard anybody talk about it that's kind of an introduction to what those numbers are so for instance the very first activity in AFNR is activity 111 that means unit 1 lesson 1 APP 1 so it does take some looking at it to understand but especially if you're like a list person which I am I really respond well to that because the organization seems pretty logical. 
Um, but one of the best things about it, and it kind of goes into what the benefits of case are besides obviously having enough curriculum is that there are also some amazing things like uh, the teacher notes and y'all might want to, you know, uh, chime in on how you've used those before, but essentially it is a spreadsheet of everything. Well, so the teacher notes have everything you need as far as, is there a right or wrong answer? I go back to thinking about plant science. I'm not going to pretend like I'm a plant science expert. So if there is an APP where we're trying to find not just maybe data in general, but there's an exact answer, I always know it's going to be in teacher notes. Uh, that Petunia lab that I was talking about is this really fun activity where the students test pH of different plants to determine if pH was what killed it or if there was a, another sinister aspect involved, right? Um, so going through, you have to set up that soil a certain way. And so going back to what an institute looks like is you might actually, you're going to go through that as a student. You're not going to see how that soil was set up. It's just going to be in front of you and you're going to test it. So you understand the APP, but at the end you may say, well, that was great, but now I'm thinking as a teacher and I need to know how to set that up. I wonder how they change the pH within the, the different soils. You go to the teacher notes and everything you need is there like a recipe. Um, the other thing that I love is the pacing guide. And this is what I imagine if there's anybody that has never been case certified and you're thinking about it, I hope one day you get the benefit of sitting in front of that teaching timeline and using it because what it is, let's say you're a month into the course and you're teaching animal science. It's going to tell you on day 14 exactly what you need. It may say tomorrow, don't forget that there's a PowerPoint. So you mentioned PowerPoints. There are some because we know that there's just some information you have to front load a little bit. You know, we're not going to just give all the information about pH. We want them to test it and understand the variances, but they have to at least know what pH is to begin with, right? So if there is ever a PowerPoint, it's intentionally very minimal and short because we want less lecture time, for lack of a better term, you know, and more of that student work time. So looking at that teacher timeline, it may say, okay, day 14, don't forget that tomorrow there's a PowerPoint and you need to plant the seeds for activity 253 today so that they're ready by day 20 or whatever the case may be. So not only do you have all of these resources at your fingertips, but you don't even have to do what, you know, the backwards planning that you might already be doing in class to know that something's ready. You know, for instance, I think about, you mentioned, um, dissections. There are a lot of things that I would want to get ready the day before of dissections. And if you go into that teaching timeline, you're going to be able to see that. So I like to think of case two and especially some of those uh, resources that are not just the pure curriculum that you get when you're certified, but all the supplemental things. It's like having the best uh, assistant or secretary that you could possibly have to just make it as easy as possible for you as the teacher. I think too, when I look at the, I don't implement case for cover to cover um, mm -hmm. in my program. And I think that's one of my favorite things is I don't have to. Yeah. And it's so flexible and it's so good for teachers, but something that's not tangible that I think that case brings to the table is that community because now I have people that I can text and say, hey, 
I'm, a, I'm prepping for this and this isn't working. Um, or I don't have this, I don't have this chemical or this material. What can I use differently? There's a Facebook group of all case certified teachers and it's such a safe place to ask those questions. Um, or your lead teachers. Um, my first lead teachers were Darla Romberger and Mel Phelps. Some of the oh, best. Oh, great ones. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, the best part of an institute is the lead teachers because I think they, they make the institute, but then it's the people that are there because I, you know, I, my first lead teaching was in Alaska. I learned so much from the people that I was teaching, you know, mm -hmm. which we do that every single day with our kids, but that same thing happens in a case institute and you leave with notes and notes and notes of things that don't relate to case at all literacy strategies grouping strategies uh, organization just things that you would never get from any other professional development or any other curriculum that you purchase and i think that's really cool um one question i get a lot and i just had this conversation with um, somebody in north dakota uh, about paying for case. So it's this beautiful thing. And I know you guys get a lot of questions about it, but this, this person didn't even know scholarships were available. So can you talk about how, um, how case has helped teachers become certified? Sure. And it's totally understandable that if there's any barrier that it's probably funding. So we know that you have to have funding to attend the Institute, but then you also have to think about funding for all the equipment afterwards. So as far as attending the Institute, before we talk about getting what you need in your classroom, now CASE has opportunities available, but one thing that I'll encourage everybody to do, I was the type of teacher, I was afraid to ask because I was just the type of person I, I hearing no is hard for me, I guess. So first of all, I would, especially if you're new, it is not, there's nothing wrong with asking for funding to be trained. So if that is a limitation and you think that your district may have that available, if you're going to ask for that money, I can guarantee that case will be a great value for that money for, for the funding. Right. But obviously there are lots of um, school districts and especially in the climate that we're in now, that's going to be difficult. Uh, so generally in the spring, now this timeline may change and it, it's flexible sometimes, but we do have, Institute scholarships, Cargill, CHS. <laughs> There's so many of them. There's so many other great sponsors. Um, some that do just the, the APT and MSA, which are mechanics courses, sponsor scholarships for teachers to attend. In general, it cover, we call them partial scholarships. I'm going to speak in, in general terms. You'd probably never see an institute be more than $3,000. Now that sounds like a lot, but we have to understand that that not only includes the training that you get, your lifetime access to the curriculum, which keep in mind, let's say you were trained at one school in one year, go to another school, that follows you. Now, if you come into a school that already had case, there, there are things we can do to get you to be able to use that curriculum for a probationary period of time and then you get certified. But if you know that you're gonna be mobile, and maybe a concern is that you don't want it to stay with that school. It goes with you. So a lot of that funding is what is ensuring you basically a lifetime certification. Um, but it also is the meals during the week and you're lodging the entire time. So 
when you were able to break it down and we want to do a better job in the future of showing what that breakdown is so that more people can understand why the, the cost is what it is. Um, those, so if we said at the most, generally I would actually say it's probably closer to 2,500. Um, those scholarships range from $1,000 to 2000. So on your end, and there are people who even have paid it personally, you know, you may only be left with a couple hundred dollars or your school district to, to cover that final cost. Um, they're also, the only thing not included, unless the host maybe ever took it into their own hands, is your travel to get there to the Institute. So that is something to think about when you are choosing it. You know, if you want that great experience where it's kind of far from where you are, but you're worried about the payment, what a lot of people do is find another teacher. And if you can share, you know, if it's close enough to road trip and you can share that gas expense and be together, then not only, you know, is a little bit safer as you're traveling, but you've got somebody who's experiencing that with you. Um, so once you get there and you're in the Institute and you've already paid, there's really no need. It's not like a trip where you have to bring a lot of cash and be prepared for anything else. Unless, you know, you come to an Institute like Nashville and you want to go shopping or go downtown or go to the Johnny Cash Museum or whatever the case may be, you know, you can plan your own little uh, weekend vacation. Now, when you get home and you need the equipment and Nikki, you brought this up and it's, it's truly, we can talk about it a lot, but you just won't understand until you get into that type of environment. But as we're going through an APP, um, I'm thinking of an AFNR. One of my favorite APPs is uh, called Measure Me, where the students are just learning about the importance of accurate measurements. So there's a product that they make at the end that really is of no consequence. It's just, can they measure accurately all the way through to even have a product at the end? With a very so, dangerous chemical. Right, and so the fun thing about that is, yes, the chemical, well, should we tell them? Should we, I think we should, because it's not students, yeah, right? It's not so, students. <laughs> yeah, the chemical is jello, generally, like, or gelatin at the end. But as we go through, you know, and I always did this in my institute, I, when we were treating them as students, respectfully, obviously, not, you know, uh, I would pretend like it was very toxic and that everybody had to make sure their PPE was perfect. And then at the end, and now teachers usually figure it out as soon as they open the box and generally students do too, but that's, um, some flexibility and we could get into this in a little bit, but I know some people think that it's canned curriculum. So yes, the curriculum is there and it's provided for you, but you have the flexibility to present that and to modify it for your audience in the way that works for you. So the way that worked for me was being very dramatic. And I would have kids who would say, Oh my gosh, Miss Jesse, I got this on my shirt. Is it going to stain it or whatever? It's jello y'all, but I'm not going to tell you that until tomorrow when you put it in the fridge and it, you know, is solid. So thinking of that APP, you know, you need, you need jello, you need a fridge to put it in. You need all the equipment for measuring along the way. And so it's one of there's first... other tips and tricks that if you were to follow just the curriculum, mm -hmm. you wouldn't get like, um, somebody, somebody posted on the Facebook group that they use whey dishes and they put the little measure me container in the whey dish because you guys, they always leak. Yeah. So you have jello everywhere. Well, yeah. usually that's everywhere in your refrigerator or if you put it on like a big sheet, you know, cookie sheet, now it's everywhere in that cookie sheet. And they were like, Hey Nikki, what about this? And I was like, Oh my gosh, like I have a million of those sitting around. So it's just that implementation that Jesse mentioned yes. is so adaptable. 
Um, I love that lab uh, and I like to be dramatic and the kids, oh, same. if you can get non-scented jello, like don't get strawberry because they're going to know right away. Yeah. So I always try to get something that has no scent and then they'll believe it for quite some time. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. And sometimes people say, well, can't I just get the curriculum and not be trained? So you could look at that APP and say, well, I think I know that my students are going to make this box and put jello in it. But it's that conversation that you have with the teachers at the Institute or on the Facebook group later where you may not think, oh, I could get the clear version and then they won't know it's jello or yeah, I need to put it on a tray so it doesn't make my fridge a mess. And you can never prepare for the amount of great tips. And you, you mentioned this earlier that come along with every APP. So at the end, when you're debriefing and you're thinking about it as a teacher, somebody is probably going to have a great idea that you didn't think of, whether it's how to group those students, how to modify that if a student was absent, you know, everything that you just wouldn't know if you just bought their curriculum. And that's why we, we, we say it's professional development that we provide and not just curriculum. Um, I have the list of the sponsors. I I have gotten many scholarships and grants to attend. That's how I've gone to, I'm certified in AFNR, ABF, and a PST. Yeah. Um, and soon ASA, so excited. Um, but, you know, Association of Equipment Manufacturers, Equipment Dealers, uh, Farm Equipment Manufacturers, CHS, Cargill, uh, Corteva, Farm Credit East, all of that is found on the website and they they're really easy scholarships to fill out you just basically showcase how you're going to use case in your classes how it's going to impact you how it's going to impact your students and even if you're case certified already you can still apply for those oh, and yeah. and you can get partial scholarships so partial scholarships have helped me utilize and make my my pd money that my school gives me go much farther because i don't have that much so i can get a partial scholarship and then use that professional development money for my school and like jesse mentioned sometimes like for asa i think i'm gonna have to pay around three hundred dollars out of my own pocket but i'm willing i'm willing to make that an investment because without it i won't get to do it at all so with the combination of the scholarships and my pd money that's really um, that's always an option for, for teachers. So definitely look into that. Yeah. And the Corteva implementation grant is kind of the second wave of, if you are thinking of applying for funding. So once you've been trained, getting that implementation grant is the way that you could decide what equipment you need. And again, that's the value of going to the Institute. Um, just for example, when I first got certified, now my school district, it was great. So I'm not complaining, but they bought everything on the purchasing manual list for me before I went to the training. And once I got home, now again, I'm not complaining, but there were things that really we wouldn't have needed or we could have gotten them much cheaper. And so as you come through it, you're going to say, well, I already have this. I can borrow this from a science teacher. And, and as you get that help from, you know, lead teachers or just understanding the inventory that you have on your own, you could take the implementation grant and say, we're going to buy lab quests with this, or we're going to every year, you know, buy the fetal pigs we need for dissection. Um, there are often times certain scholarships that 
we may actually need more people to apply for. Um, now that's not, to, I say that now and we may have a million next year and not have enough, but especially in the case of some of those specialized courses where, you know, those great sponsors are looking for somebody to take APT or MSA. There have been years where there could have been funding that, that was left on the table. So I would encourage anybody, if you've got the time to at least try. And one tip on those that does make you a little bit more likely to be chosen for just to, to be, you know, transparent is the description of how case will impact your classroom and also the amount of students impacted. And, you know, that's not necessarily a number that you can change, but if there's ever a part of the application that is the most vital that you would want to spend the most time on and reflect on the true scope of it, it would be those two questions. So if I'm a teacher, you know, listening to this, I've never, you know, say I've never attended an institute before, um, what should I do to get started? Who do I need to talk to? Um, what institute should I attend first? You know, there's 11 of them. So um, I guess any advice you have on that? Yeah. Who you talk to first is just kind of what are your needs first. If you need technical information to provide for to your administrators, you could definitely get a hold of any case staff. And we are looking to provide even more resources, even directly, you know, geared towards administrators because we know that often that might be the first sell that you have to make. You know, there's there's groups of people that you have to to get to pass or certify some of these things and allow you to do it, and that may be the first line. Now, if you just want to know about maybe what the best institute is to attend or get an idea of which one might be kind of your flavor, then I would definitely encourage you to talk to anybody you know that is case certified. It's kind of like anything else where you get really excited about a specialized group and, and I'll go ahead and say you could definitely be somebody who drinks the case Kool-Aid. Um, once you're in there and you experience those things we're talking about, even if you're not, maybe you only get certified in one you can see why it would be easy to drink the case Kool-Aid because once, once you get one, you think, wow, I want all my classes to be like this. Um, as far as which one to choose, it really is just what your needs are. Again, you don't have to take them in any particular order. So even though there is a pathway and you might want to finally over the course of, you know, several summers get certified in all of them, the one that you want to teach the most is probably the one that I would, I would choose to take. Now you may talk to somebody who says, go ahead and take AF and R first. I would say one consideration you could make is your comfort level with certain courses. For instance, uh, we have animal and plant biotechnology as a course. It's probably the most intense course we have uh, from what I hear from others. That's not what I'm certified in, but it's definitely rigorous, right? So if that's your first case course and you aren't prepared for that rigor, it could be, I don't want to say off-putting, but you may think that they're all like that when really you've taken probably one of the most challenging case courses. So if you know you're going to take more than one and you'd really like to just dip your toe into the water as best as possible, I would say AFNR is a great place to start. And that's my favorite all those wonderful, amazing experiences I have every summer, it's because not only do I get to share what I've learned by implementing it, but even as the lead teachers, and you know, that's a smaller population, but if you are ever one of those people that gets to lead that institute, it also makes you a better teacher. 
So you're there to facilitate and, and bring it to these teachers, but there's so many things, just grouping strategies or here's how I would do this. You know, every summer I probably give tips that I, I just heard that from somebody else the summer before. So what that means is if I had, you know, somebody in one class, not only did their positive influence affect 20 people in that course, but then the next 20 people I talk to the next summer know that tip. And again, I mean, we've I've brought it up a lot, but it's that interconnectedness and that web that you just can't replicate anywhere else. Um, generally our institutes and what's available. So we have applications if you want to host one. So if, if you're listening and that's ever an interest, um, that would be something to always kind of look for in August, September, and you would just to apply and discuss what your break-even point would be and what your housing plans would be for the participants and that kind of thing. So when we choose our host, we try to put that out ahead of time so that you can look at the prices. Um, one question we get that I think is a great question is, well, why is there not a standard amount? You know, why can't we just say an ASA Institute everywhere is 2,500? And again, that's going to differ because I know in Nashville, you know, the, the hotels might be a little bit more expensive than they might be in Mankato when we went to Minnesota. So when you do see those different prices, just realize that it's whatever locally is influencing that. It may also be that there are some consumable items um, that just you need more, like food science. Obviously, the things that you have to buy at food science are consumed more often, so the price might be a little bit higher. And then you can just look at that map and decide funding-wise, location-wise, what you want to do, you know, Nikki, you said you've um, led taught in Alaska. We've had institutes in Hawaii. So it's really what your summer looks like and what you want it to look like. Registration opens in December. I would say tentatively, I think December 15th is our day that this year it's going to open. You could kind of look on the horizon. Now they don't generally sell out within like a day, but I will say that there are teachers who prepare ahead of time for that opening registration day because they want to secure a spot. So I'm not trying to create a sense of urgency necessarily, but you may want to, if you're that person and you know, like I can only go to this Institute, then just keeping in mind that December is when we open that, that can make you maybe feel more comfortable. Um, and then from there, after you take your first Institute, you know, it's, it's so, it's such an investment that I hate to say you'll have to find out within a year, but you know, once you get that first case course, you'll know where to go from there. You'll definitely know because whatever one that you took and the experience that you have, if you are in the natural resources pathway and you took NRA, NRE and you loved it, then you probably will know ESI is the next logical one and you want to get more of that pathway. Um, but you might you decide too yeah. where your weakest areas are in your sure. in your program. I like really want to take food science so bad and anim like animal science, um, but it doesn't fit for my program. And so, ha like looking at the website and looking at like the the unit topics that are talked about that can help guide you to of you know where you know where you should go. Um, but I've also heard of some people, they pick a topic that they're really comfortable with and that's what they choose as their first institute because they're in their comfort level um, and they can, you know, like you said, dip their toe in the water. Um, how do they find out if like who's uh, somebody they can t contact? Like if they don't know who's certified in their state, how do they figure that out? That's a great question. And we try to have a lot of availability in that way. If you go to our website, there should, 
no, not should be, there is a, a link for the state leader network. And so as much as possible, we ha try to have three contact people within each state, uh, at least one teacher. And I don't want to say it's just a teacher, but somebody who's still in the classroom and that can say, you know, yes, on a daily basis, this is how case works in a classroom. But there also hopefully is a state department of ed leader. You know, that's important because case provides all of the standards alignment that we could possibly provide. I mean, that's the work that our great curriculum team does. So if you need next gen science or next generation science, yeah, that's what it's called. Mm -hmm. um, common core math, common core English, all of those things, even just the list of how every APP we have relates to FFA. Um, if you go to the bottom of a lesson, which again goes back to the setup, you can see all of those standards alignment and you see if a student excelled in this lesson, here are some great proficiency areas. Here are some great CDEs or LDEs they can compete in and, and so on. What, so I, I, <laughs> people are really excited right now. What case institutes are currently open that they, and I know this summer looked different. Um, and I think for case, what they've done in moving some of it virtually was, was probably a hard decision. Uh, but I think they're doing a lot with, with the cards that they were dealt. Uh, but what is available right now for teachers if they, if they do want to get started? Good question. And uh, throwing it back to also, if you ever need to find anybody else who is certified in your area, we do have a certification map on the website that you can also search your local area and you'll see a populated map of anybody in your area that's certified and you should be able to click even and see what they're certified in um so that is a great resource and and pretty much every time somebody becomes case certified they become great ambassadors for case so you're welcome to to ask any level of folks um as far as what's available now so that's a great question everything's crazy right now right you know not to use a cliche term but we're flying the plane as we're building it so when everything was canceled March, April, it became clear that it's not going to be safe or prudent or possible to have in-person institutes in the summer. Um, probably the first summer in so long that so many of us that are used to spending about two weeks of our summer at Case sat at home, right? And if you're following our track here about what an in-person institute looks like, you know, if you're going to teach a lesson about dissection, then you want to be in person to see that. And so as we think about our courses and how we're going to deliver those virtually, there's still a lot of challenges to overcome to be able to still provide the very high quality professional development that we always want to be providing. That being said, we can't be stagnant in this time. And our goal is to, oh wait, no matter what we're doing or how we're doing it, is to make ag teachers successful so their students are successful. And so adapting to a virtual learning environment is something that CASE is continually doing right now. Um, what we first offered, and we're offering right now, are briefcases. So going back to that, that means that shorter course that probably only lasts a semester. And that training is much, much shorter. So I will say, you know, we didn't mention this, but if you really are curious, 
and you have anywhere between $220 and $300 to spend, again, it varies because depending on who hosts it, it's a little bit different. Um, but that's the price for that briefcase, the agribusiness foundations, ABF. So if you could get into one of those virtual courses, that will give you an opportunity not only to just have some great professional development, you would have some of that ag business um, curriculum in your pocket, which I think applies to almost every course we could think of, right? Uh, but you would see what that curriculum is set up like. You would generally see what that collabor collaborative environment is like. So we do have uh, some case-hosted versions of that, which fortunately for our interest level, it, they're all sold out, which means that we open that up to some local hosts uh, I know Texas is doing it, Kentucky, Illinois, and I think West Virginia. And I believe West Virginia still has spots now, and you don't have to be in that state. It just means that that state is hosting it. You might be in an environment of a lot of teachers who are from that area, but they're all open nationally. And, you know, if you're hearing this and you're a group, maybe a state, you know, NAAE association or, um, even just a, a local high school. We've had some people who just do it for their local area. You could host a briefcase for ABF at any time this year. So while it will be December until those, those full institutes are available again and we can provide that schedule, um, if anybody in your area needs that training, we could probably host one of those for as few as maybe even anywhere 10 to 12 teachers. So if you just had a cohort in your area that was like, I'm interested, there's not a lot going on, definitely contact Sarah Cobb about that. And then you could plan your own briefcase institute virtually. So it's held over Zoom and uh, the teachers utilize Google Classroom to find that and then you'll have access to that curriculum. We are offering, now are both of you, I think just Nikki is enrolled in the virtual ASA or are you both? Um, I I'm certified in ASA already. Nikki's doing it virtually this summer. Yeah, I was kind of That's right. not, I mean, not disappointed because I think it's great that you're offering ASA, but I was like, oh shoot, I wish it was one that I'm not already certified in. But Right. I lucked out. Yeah. So the first, knowing that we need to provide that, I mean, I'm the person on the team that was probably the most sad about knowing that we're going to have to go virtual, not because I don't want to obviously provide what we need to teachers, but those in-person events are just so valuable to me, but uh, Carl, who is our assistant director, has worked very hard on adapting our in-person ASA Institute, so that's animal science, to being a, what he and we are calling a virtual immersive. So on Saturdays throughout the fall, those who are signed up are going to attend virtual training from our lead teachers. There's actually two cohorts, and even though I'm not sure probably by the time uh, this is live, it may be closed. We're closing on the 15th, but there are a few more spots open on the West Coast cohort group, and essentially what that means is that teachers will get that curriculum access to ASA if they've signed up for the immersive uh, anytime. It probably will provide it here in the next week or so. You'll be able to be looking at that, and then this entire process that we've talked about will hopefully translate virtually through, you know, online discussions, Zoom meetings, Google Classroom, uh, things that need to be posted to that. And then the final culmination of that institute, we're hoping and we're thinking now at least, is going to be an in-person finalization uh, right before NAAE convention. Which again, this year is hosted in Nashville, so all y'all come see me if we're going to end up being a person. And uh, 
and so anybody who signed up, they don't have to attend NAAE, but we know that a lot of people may do that anyway. And uh, Nashville TSU is going to graciously host those those members, and it's very close to everything that uh, you would need to be doing if you're coming to NAAE convention anyway. Now we've probably already adapted for the idea that that may not be in person, and so there may just be another online training, but. The moral of that entire story is we know that we're going to have to provide more and more virtual training and we are continually looking for ways to make that as inquiry based as possible because we don't want to lose that aspect of the training because it could be very easy for us to just get on a zoom call and say here's a curriculum here's how you do it here are some ideas for if you need you know alternate funding or if you have to do it on a cheaper version but one of the best parts is letting your students have that productive struggle and getting them used to the idea that they're going to ask something. And I, uh, I knew I was doing a good job and having a good day if my students asked me, Miss Jessie, how do we, and then they'd say, "Never mind, you're not going to tell us. You know, that's what I think you want to get to and that those students know that it's not just a class where they can walk in and find something out of a book and get an A you know, we call, we call them grade grubbers. You know, sometimes the kids who get the most frustrated are very intelligent students, but they might be like the book worm or the, you know, the book smart oriented ones. They, they, they're the students who like to find the answer. And we always want to keep that aspect of inquiry where even the best student is not going to be able to necessarily look up that answer. They're going to have to figure it out by going through that activity. And so I'll say that to say, you know, there are always ways that teachers can help us understand how to best do that. And so looking at next summer, we would hope that AF&R or ASP, maybe the next two that we take virtual. Now, don't hold me to that because it could change, but um, we feel like those may be the best two that will still be able to provide that inquiry-based productive struggle to the students. And, you know, that's, we feel like if you're already bought in, if you already want to travel and attend an institute, then, you know, that may be on the horizon for you anyway. But providing virtual opportunities may be, you know, those folks who literally could never leave the farm, not even for a briefcase. Or, you know, you're a parent and, and you want to stay home with your kids or you're a caregiver to somebody and you can't leave them. So we're excited about the audience that, that those virtual options uh, could be opened up to, you know, the different groups that we could bring into our case fold. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of nervous about leaving my five cats sometimes. So that <laughs> <laughs> great. Just no, but I, moms. <laughs> right. I think too. You know, I'm trying to get certified as much as I can because I love Case, and I've kind of, you know, like you said, drank that Kool Aid. But I think those virtual opportunities allow great opportunities for teachers who maybe want to do multiple institutes in one summer. And I probably can't be gone for, you know, an entire month, but maybe I can go to one in-person one if we're able to have them and then also do a virtual option too. So um, yeah. I'm excited about those and I'm looking forward to, you know, the possibility of them being, being virtual. I'll be the first one to sign up. So. <laughs> so as yeah, we wrap excited. up here, um, what are and we've we've talked a little bit about them but if you were going to bust some myths about case what would be maybe a couple of the the major myths that you hear about the curriculum and and what would be your comment on those so i'll answer that first by saying that i was somebody who had one of those and if we would have 
could time travel back to me in 2012, you'd hear me say, well, I've gone through, uh, you know, DuPont AgriScience ambassador training, and they taught us all about inquiry and how to bring that to any lesson. And so I don't want to take something that's just canned and I, I don't have any creativity throughout the day. You know, as much as I want a full length curriculum, I also wanted flexibility in that. And I wanted to feel like I wasn't teaching something that applies to maybe, you know, a state that that doesn't run ag or, or FFA or something similar to the way that our state does. You know, I think we, we, we think nationally a lot, but we also think our own backyard a lot too. Right. And so you think, well, how could something that some, somebody nationally puts out still apply to the very diverse and important ag that I have in my area. And so the last thing that this is, is a canned curriculum. I think when I hear that now, I think maybe people will think that there's some type of script. Um, but there, the flexibility that you have, in my opinion, is the flexibility in the parts that you want. If we know and we can trust curriculum experts to write things that are geared towards the science aspect of it, I don't have to go to school and be certified in these things and understand them well enough to write the curriculum. At the end of the day, my flexibility and my creativity comes in. How am I going to have, to me, it's all the fun stuff you get to think about and none of the, the non-fun stuff. So I get to think about how, what bell ringer am I going to use for this? Um, what reading strategy, although I guess that's not fun to everybody, but it is to me. What reading strategy am I going to pick for them to read the purpose of this APP? Uh, what grouping strategy am I going to use? You know, and Case will even tell you down to the grouping. It'll say groups of three or groups of two or whatever. Um, I can have all kinds of flexibility with how I check in throughout the APP. There are conclusion questions at the end that are great for wrapping it up, but I could choose to turn those conclusion questions into a group discussion at the end of class. I can make it an exit ticket. When we're thinking about virtual learning, that could be, you know, maybe I want them to do the lab at home. And then I just get the conclusion questions. Maybe that's almost like a journal reflection. So the framework is there for you to turn it into whatever you need in your classroom. It's basically anything but what I expected it to be when I heard canned curriculum. I would think also we talked about this. You don't have to take them in any type of order. It really is what's best for you. And so, you know, one person may think AF&R is the thing to do because that's what it starts with. But, you know, I mean, we've talked about it. You can pick the thing you're weakest in, the thing you're, the best in, it's totally up to you. Uh, I will have, so in the time that I have been on staff, you know, there's all kinds of questions that I get. And occasionally so far I've, I've got the question, well, can I just buy the curriculum? And there may be people who, who give their background and, and they could be people who probably could have helped us write it. You know, they're very knowledgeable about the content. But again, if, if you ever look at case and think, I just don't want to spend that time training. There are so many things in between all of those lines that are written that you will never get by just getting emailed to you and sitting at your desk in your classroom. And so if there, I wouldn't say there's ever frustration, but I think there are teachers who may wonder why it is such a process, you know, for lack of a better term, you know, you may think anything else you can just, well, I just, I'll spend Perkins money and I'll buy this book and then I've got curriculum. But because we ask a lot of our teachers, we also hope we provide that much in return. Well, and that support 
doesn't stop when the institute ends. And I mean, I've gone on Teachers Pay Teachers and all these other places and you can, you can buy things, but you still have to modify it and you still have to create that content still at that point. And you don't necessarily have to do that with case. And I've attended institutes and even now I'll come home and I might still need help, but now I have people to help me. If I was just allowed to purchase it, and I wouldn't know how to do any of it, um, and I wouldn't, and I wouldn't know how to make it the best for my kids. So it, it's just it's different. And I and I hope that once you get the opportunity to attend one, it it makes sense then. The best analogy I can think of, if you ever were an extemp speaker or are you trained extemp kids? When I was young, I'd think, oh, I'm, you know, the person before me that did this, they had this amazing notebook, right? All, all your resources that you're going to write your speech with, right? And so you think, I can't wait for them to pass those notebooks down to me. But if all somebody does is hand you those notebooks and you're trying to write an extemp speech, you're going to spend more time figuring what's out in those and where it is and, and what the content is, right? But if you were to and this is, you know, what I always was trained to do is you have every extemp speaker make their own notebooks because they know what's in it because they're the ones that created it. So, you know, paralleling that to the course, if I hand you this curriculum and tell you to go perform, you know, quote unquote, write the speech, you're going to spend way more time looking through that content and maybe not understanding why things are written the way they are than if you go through that time of, writing your own notebook, so to speak, you know, you're laying out your year and creating it as you get trained. Well, and I think your kids will notice that too. I mean, I feel so much more confident and comfortable teaching the ASA and kind of on the same, um, you know, track that Nikki was talking about. I ordered a couple units for my botany class um, that I taught last year uh, from teacher pay teachers. And it was a great curriculum. Don't get me wrong, but I wasn't super confident in it because I hadn't done it myself. So it was like, maybe it'll work, you know, or I'm trying after school to, to figure it out and make sure it works. Um, or once again, those teacher notes that you were saying, obviously I didn't have those with that teacher pay teacher um, curriculum. So then I had forgotten to buy the supplies that I needed. So I didn't have them for class or um, I needed to start the seeds, like you said, maybe last week. And now it's like, well, I guess I need to rearrange everything I'm doing today because I didn't do that. And some of those things are so time sensitive that um, it would have been nice to, to know that in advance for sure. Yeah. And at the end of the day, and I just keep harping on it, but it's that intangible I'm so I'm from the South. I'm very like, you know, friendly and this, I always view things. If I'm going to be a part of it, I want it to be like a family. So, I mean, there could be teachers that may not view it, you know, that quite that intimately, but you know, you may go to an Institute and let's say, you know, if Nikki is your lead teacher and then you may attend an Institute with her the next summer, or you may be friends with somebody on Facebook and say, Oh, how do you know Nikki? And they'll say, well, she was my lead teacher the year before. It's this web that you can't ever unweave. And so you kind of think of it in terms of like, you know, Oh, well, she was within my graduating class. Like she was in my ASA or whatever the, the case is. Um, but that is essentially once you're part of the case family, we're always going to take care of you. And you know that there's always a group there that, that cares about your success and I can't say 
that everything that we utilize as resources as ag teachers can do that. And there are some great, you know, groups that you can be a part of that make you feel welcome. But if you're not in the case family already, it may take going to an institute to feel that. But that's what we strive for is that once you've joined our team, you're never going to be without support. And that's hard to measure, but it's real life. And, uh, and I'm sure many of you that are certified listening or lead teachers listening, you're thinking about all the cool memories you have, smiling, thinking about the funny things that happened at your institute, and it's bringing you back some really good feelings. And so I hope those of you that aren't really feel comfortable reaching out to those teachers in your state, or even us, or Jesse, uh, any of the, the case staff, because they really will answer every question that you have. Um, because they really care about about the longevity of case and, and the future of it. So um, as we wrap up, we want to thank Jesse so much for her time on Here by the All podcast. Make sure to like the podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And in the show notes, we will um, link you with the Google Drive with resources.